Welcome to the weekly podcast channel for the Wilmington Church of Christ. We hope that this channel inspires and encourages you to take the gospel to all people, transforms hearts to be like Christ, and trains disciples to make disciples. For more information about our church, please go to wcconline.org. Enjoy the message. Oh, a package. Oh, oh, this is what I ordered. Oh. This is really exciting. I did an online order for some communion bread and the website said it would be, it would feel just like church, only at home. I, I've been missing church, you know, enjoying the presence of God through his body, the believers that meet together. We sing and hear the word preached, and one of our responses to hearing the word of God is to participate together in communion. We are the body of Christ, participating in the body of Christ. And here is what I got. Excellent. Finally, what our family has needed this whole time to do communion at home. Let me get into it real quick and let you see what is inside. Oh. This actually doesn't look very good. And for the cost I paid, it doesn't seem like very much. I really thought it might look more interesting or better. I mean, we've been using different types of communion crack, uh, different type of crackers for our communion at home this past month. And the communion we've used, none of it has quite hit the spot for us. We've used saltines and Ritz and store-bought matzah and wheat thins and triscuits and, and original club. Are those goldfish? Ah. But nothing quite beats homemade matzah bread. You know, back when I was a little younger, yeah, that's me when I was in high school, back when I had hair. We would lead a class for our children's church about Passover, and we would make homemade matzah bread to use in our meals. All right, kids, get ready to eat your homemade matzah and your bitter herbs. That's raw horseradish. Oh, Timmy, don't cry. It'll burn your mouth, not forever. Ha, 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 ha. Anyway, we would use this homemade matzah. When Jesus was celebrating the first communion, he was using a Passover meal, or um, what we now call communion or Eucharist. So it is relevant that we would teach about matzah. The matzah bread we use is small little loaves of flat bread that looks a lot like a cracker. And during Passover with the kids, we'd eat it with the bitter herbs and the sweet mixture of apples and walnuts called choroset, leaving the kids with a pretty good experience. No, kids, you have to pronounce it like a hair caught in your throat. Caraset. I don't really care how you pronounce it, but if you're going to be having communion at home, you might want to participate and partake by using homemade matzah. If you're participating without homemade matzah, then you're probably participating without Bible food. Matzah is Yiddish uh, for very thin unleavened bread, probably from the root word in Hebrew, which means made in haste. And we do have to make it quickly if we follow the recipe. But before we start making our own communion bread, let's take a moment to understand this whole significance of eating this type of bread in our religious history. 
God and humanity and our relationship with eating goes all the way back to the beginning. But for our Bible message this morning, we're going to start in Exodus chapter 12 and something like 2180 BC when Moses and the Israelites were going to be rescued out of Egyptian slavery on a night forever to be known as Passover. Moses had asked Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, to let the Israelites go and worship their God. But Pharaoh had refused nine times. God had sent nine plagues on Pharaoh and the Egyptians, warning them and telling them that he is God and Pharaoh is not a God. Water to blood, frogs, lice, flies, diseased livestock, boils, hail, locusts, and three days of darkness were the plagues that had struck Egypt but Pharaoh still would not let the Israelites go. You'd think he would have learned his lesson and repented. But not only did Pharaoh harden his heart, but God also hardened his heart, and stubborn Pharaoh was not going to be moved. So God was going to send one final plague, the death of the firstborn son. The plague would pass over and not kill the firstborn son in any house that had the blood of the lamb on its doorpost. At midnight, Yahweh moved through all of Egypt, and this is what we read in Exodus 12. God said to Moses and Aaron, while still in Egypt, This month is to be the first month of the year for you. Address the whole community of Israel. Tell them that on the tenth of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one lamb to a house. Your lamb must be a healthy male, one year old. Keep it pinned until the fourteenth day of this month, and then slaughter it. The entire community of Israel will do this at dusk. Then take some of the blood and smear it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which you will eat it. You are to eat the meat roasted in the fire that night along with bread made without yeast and bitter herbs. And here is how you are to eat it. Be fully dressed with your sandals on and your walking staff in your hand. Eat it in haste. It's the Passover to God. Tradition says, and this is the Jewish commentary on Exodus 12:39, that when the final plague hit, and even Pharaoh's own son died, that the Egyptians pushed the Israelites out of Egypt, and they pushed the Hebrew people out fat, so fast that they had to throw their dough into their backpacks, and the dough didn't have time to rise, and it baked in the, sun, the heat of the desert sun. Thus, we have unleavened bread as a part of the Passover feast. It's to remind the Jews that they left Egypt out of slavery in a hurry. By the time Jesus was celebrating this Passover meal with his disciples, the unleavened bread had taken on a new nickname, the bread of affliction. The bread of affliction reminded them of their slavery and of their tears and of their oppression. And there was a tradition the disciples would have known where the ritual of the Passover included holding the bread over their head for all to see and say, this is the bread of affliction which our ancestors ate in the land of Egypt. Let all who are hungry come and eat. When Jesus took his bread with his disciples, imagine their shock when he changed the words of their tradition from this is the bread of affliction to This is my body, take and eat. Later, I bet they remembered what the prophet Isaiah had to say about their Messiah. We flip over to Isaiah chapter 53, we read this. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. 
By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. Every time we eat this bread and drink this cup, we are telling ourselves and others about his death until he comes again. But before we get to the ceremony, we need to go back to Moses and the Israelites leaving Egypt and notice how God took care of them with bread from heaven. They have been set free from their slavery in Egypt, and they have started walking in the desert to the promised land. They have run out of food, and they have started to complain. So God provided them, provided for them bread from heaven. We find this in Exodus chapter 16. God spoke to Moses, I've listened to the complaints of the Israelites. Now tell them, at dusk you will eat meat, and at dawn you'll eat your fill of bread, and you'll realize that I am God, your God. That evening, quail flew in and covered the camp, and in the morning there was a layer of dew all over the camp. When the layer of dew had lifted, there on the wilderness ground was a fine, flaky something, fine as frost on the ground. The Israelites took one look and said to one another, Manhu? Which means, what is it? They had no idea what it was. So Moses told them, it's the bread God has given you to eat. And these are God's instructions. Gather enough for each person, about two quarts per person. Gather enough for everyone in your tent. That's the beauty of manna. God gave them a heavenly bread to sustain and nourish them physically. Later, we'll read in the Gospel of John, chapter 6, where Jesus tells his followers of a spiritual bread they must eat to live eternally. Chapter 6, verse 47 starts like this. Very truly, the one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves, How can this man give us flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. Every time we eat this bread and drink this cup, we're telling ourselves and others about his death until he comes again. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10 that when we drink from the cup, we are sharing in the blood of Christ. And when we eat the bread we break, we are sharing in the body of Christ. But before we get to the ceremony we call communion, let's go back and look at Moses and the Israelites one more time as they leave the wilderness and head toward the promised land. While we think both Mount Sinai and Mount Horeb mentioned in the Bible are the same mountain, we don't know exactly where it is. Whether it's located in Egypt or over here in Saudi Arabia, it plays a really important part in our history. This is where God met Moses at the burning bush, where Moses received the Ten Commandments and one of the final stops before Israel left to go toward the Promised Land. Now I know what you're thinking. What does the mountain have to do with our communion time? Well, it's also here at this mountain that after the Israelites make a covenant with God, 
God gave, remember, God gave the Israelites his law, and he makes this covenant with them, and then he seals it with blood. And then the elders, along with Moses and Aaron and a few others, get to go up on top of the mountain and eat in God's presence. Here's what the scripture says. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it as the people listened. They said, everything God said, we'll do. Yes, we'll obey. Moses took the rest of the blood and threw it out over the people saying, this is the blood of the covenant which God has made with you out of all these words I've spoken. Then they climbed the mountain, Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel and saw the God of Israel. He was standing on a pavement of something like sapphires, pure, like sky blue, clear. And he didn't hurt those pillar leaders of Israelites. They saw God and they ate and drank. Exodus 24, 7 through 11. It appears from that passage in Exodus 24 that God is setting a precedent that Jesus would fulfill and have us fulfill. That part of what made the covenant complete was eating a meal together in the presence of God. We've already learned, number one, that every time we eat this bread and drink this cup, we are telling ourselves and others about Jesus' death until he comes again. And number two, eating and drinking of the bread and the cup allows us to be participants in the body and blood of Christ. And now, number three, eating a meal in the presence of God is part of what makes our covenant complete. Jesus says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Now there is such a thing as a matzah baking kit. It has a recipe, a specific measuring cup, a dough cutter, a timer, and even a redler. Those are the things that aerates the bread, put holes in the bread to keep it from rising. Of course, to be kosher, the matzah has to follow really specific rules. Rules uh, mean a person has to watch the grain from the time it's harvested, through the milling process, and into the home to make sure it's guarded from moisture. The water used has to come from a spring and it must be cool and some rabbis say it is scandalous to bake the matzah the day you use it and it must be made the day before you use it. For our purposes, we are not going to be very legalistic. We're just going to be using some flour and water and maybe a few more ingredients because that's what my kids like. Remember, the Lord's Supper is not a sacrifice. It's a memorial of the sacrifice. So we don't use the lamb of the original Passover. Our Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world, is Jesus Christ. And we know that by the will of Jesus, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. That's in Hebrews chapter 10. To remember the sacrifice of Christ, we are to eat and drink, imitating Jesus and following his instructions. One of the places we get instructions is from the Apostle Paul in the letter he wrote to the church at Corinth. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 11, starting with verse 23. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Because those are the instructions from the Lord to us, and because we're not celebrating a Jewish Passover here, we don't have to be legalistic about what kind of bread we use and what kind of drink we use in our cup. 
Now, there are some Christian traditions that insist you can only participate in the Lord's Supper if you do it in a church building or if you only do it uh, with an ordained priest offering the bread and the cup or if you only do it in a certain denomination. Maybe you have to have the emblems just correct. Here's where you're going to have to have your conscience lead you. I know one pastor wrote, I will commune with any fruit of the vine, whether it's sweet or sour, alcoholic or non-alcoholic. So you'll have to decide if your conscience allows you to use a close substitute for what Jesus used or not. You have to decide, along with your church community, which is worse, to not participate in communion, remembering Christ in his sacrifice, enjoying his presence, or during communion, you remember his sacrifice and enjoy his presence, though you will use uh, inexact bread and cup. Although I still wouldn't recommend goldfish. Since we don't have specific instructions from Christ on these matters, I like how Paul communicates to us what our response should be. In Romans chapter 14, he says, Whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Who knew Paul could be so snarky? Now, some think that flour is shelf-stable and doesn't ever expire, but that's not the case. If kept improperly, it can attract bugs or even spoil pretty quickly. If you notice a brownish surface or specks that shouldn't be there, that's probably a weevil. The female weevils can lay their eggs inside the grain kernel and they hatch between one and five months after the flour is ground. If you're not sure, rub some of the flour between your fingers, and if it has a minty odor, that's the bugs. And while you might like a little extra protein in your bread, I don't recommend it. And sometimes the natural fats that are found in the flour will oxidize when exposed to air and moisture. If your flour smells musty or rancid, throw it out and get some new. Whole wheat flour will spoil faster than refined flour, but you can, be, you can keep both in the freezer for up to a year or six months in the fridge. Flour that we're going to use today is all-purpose flour, not self-rising, and we're just going to be cooking for my family of five, so we just need one cup of flour to start, plus a quarter cup on the side, to develop consistency and be able to sprinkle on our rolling pin. Next, we're going to need a teaspoon of salt, one-eighth cup of olive oil, and three tablespoons of honey, give or take, for flavor. And, oh, you're going to need water. The matzah's recipe usually is about three and one-fourth cup to one ratio uh, dry ingredients to liquid. So if we just want plain matzah, which is used for Passover meal, you can mix about three to one in the water and flour ratio. Flour and water. Don't get those two confused. Roll it out and you're done. That's it. Passover matzah would be just flour and water. But since we don't have to be kosher and we're not strictly having a Passover but the Lord's Supper, let's add a few more ingredients. So we're going to use a um, fourth cup of water and a quarter cup of water plus an eighth cup of oil puts us about one-third of liquid for our one cup of flour. That's the three-to-one ratio we're looking for. Before you begin, preheat your oven to its highest setting. Mine only goes to 500 degrees if the broiler is on. And you'll want to move the baking rack as close to the heat as possible. This ensures, this helps the bread um, cook more quickly and it doesn't have a chance to rise and turn into pita bread. Do I have to remind anyone else to wash your hands before you begin handling your ingredients or cooking utensils? 
On the counter, you're going to want to have all your ingredients ready to go. And if you want to get really fancy, you can add a trivet to put your hot pan on after you take it out of the oven, and a cooling rack to put your bread on. You can use a pizza stone for baking, and that's best, but we don't have a pizza stone, so we're just going to substitute for a pan with aluminum foil. And your bread can cool on whatever you surface you like, including a plate. You don't need a trivet either, just put it on a hot pad. When, when the heat in the oven reaches its highest setting, you're ready to begin. And if you want to have even more fun with this, you want to start your timer right before you start mixing to see if you can bake your bread in under 18 minutes. You, I know we're not following any of the other kosher rules like watching the grain from the time it is harvested to the time it is milled to the time it enters our home. And we're not using fresh spring water. We just have tap water here. Uh, but trying to beat the clock and getting it mixed, rolled out, and baked in the right amount of time is kind of fun. And it does make a difference to the texture of the bread. Now we build our matzo bread batter. In one large bowl, combine the flour with the salt. Now it's time to introduce the wet ingredients. This is just a basic bread. You don't have to get all fancy. You could just dump in the water. But unless you want your bread to be really plain, which is fine, we just prefer ours with a little flavor. And we're going to use that fork to mix in the honey and the oil. And we're going to have a little bit of flour left over on the side. And we're just going to mix that all together with our fork. Mix the dough until it has a little bit of a sticky consistency. And then we're gonna add some more flour or water as needed. This dough is getting pretty close where it starts clumping together like Play-Doh and doesn't stick to my hands as bad. That's what the extra flour is for. If we cover our hands, we can continue to mix the dough and it doesn't stick as much. We're gonna put a little flour right on the table and a little bit on our hands so the bread doesn't stick. And we're gonna pinch off a golf ball sized bit of dough to flatten it out. You can use a rolling pin or your hands, and if you just spent half an hour at Walmart looking for a rolling pin and couldn't find one, you can also use a cup. Now your glass, you can put a little flour on it to make it not stick, and it rolls out pretty thin. After you get it thin, you wanna aerate it with your fork. Uh, tradition requires us to aerate it so the bread doesn't rise. But we're gonna notice that after we poke holes in it with our fork, uh, heat is gonna come through those holes and there's gonna be stripes on the outside of our bread. When this bread is finished, it will have a nice golden brown color, be pierced and have dark stripes on it from the top where the heat has cooked through. Peel that right up off the table and put it right over on your pan. Let the bread cool and then you can try some with butter or honey and enjoy it at any point of the day but set some aside and apart from your other foods to be used for our communion time. I like how some Christians will fast on Sunday mornings before they participate in communion, and by sharpening their physical appetite, it reminds them of their spiritual appetite and need for the presence of Christ. Living in that prayer moment, it helps them to prepare to take communion in a worthy manner. You can do it too. However you are going to have communion in your home or when we start meeting back together again, set that time apart to be this moment where we are prepared to encounter the presence of Christ in the way he instructed us. 
If you use homemade matzah, allow it to remind you of the story of our Savior right out of Isaiah 53. Surely he took our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities, and the punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his stripes we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray, and each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. As you remember the story, allow the bread to remind you that we are participating in and have been redeemed by his sacrifice, the ransom of his body and blood, that not only bought us out of sin slavery, but healed our souls. During this time, we enter into the presence of God by eating and drinking, just as Moses and the elders did on the mountain, just as those two concepts alone should help us have a reverent attitude while we participate. But finally, don't forget the manna part. Jesus said that he would be able to sustain us just like the manna did in the desert for the Israelites. And this small little meal we call communion is one way that Jesus helps to spiritually sustain and strengthen us as we prepare for another week of living for him. Let's take a moment and participate in communion right now. I'll pray for us. You get your bread ready and your cup ready, and then we will participate in the bread and the cup. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much that you have given us this great reminder of your sacrifice, of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. Would you allow uh, this time of communion to not only remind us of that sacrifice, but also to give us spiritual nourishment. Uh, give us your presence again, Lord, even as we participate in communion. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Go on and break your bread. Take a little piece and eat it. And as a church body now, go on and take the cup. Jesus said, this is the cup of the new covenant. And drink. Let's pray one more time and then we'll have our invitation. God, we thank you for giving us your presence and your reminder in this small meal. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. As we close out our worship time today, I want to remind you that if you want to give your life to Christ, would you make that known publicly? Would you put it in the chat room, in the comment section, or email us, or even send us a text? You can text the word CONNECT to 937-382-0904, and we will help you take your next best step. Whether that is to repent and recommit your life to Christ, maybe it's to be baptized into Christ like you saw earlier, or maybe it is just you need to learn how to know who Jesus is a little bit better than you do now. We'll help you take that next best step, and we'll uh, hopefully we'll all train ourselves to grow closer to Jesus Christ. Until we meet again, and until we get to take communion together as a body, I look forward to worshiping with you again soon. If this message has inspired you or encouraged you, we would love if you shared it with a friend. To help support ministries like this one, go to wcconline.org slash donate.